0: Well, good day. I thought I'd get that out of the way. I've been asked several times if it's a common expression or if that's just some sort of caricature of Australia, and I'll have you know that it is a common expression. But uh, we live in Perth, which is the most isolated capital city in the world. It's closer to Bangkok, Thailand than it is to Sydney. And it's about nine hours by plane to Johannesburg if you fly west over the Indian Ocean. And so we're in a place that, that uh, is isolated, uh, that the faith of Christianity is rare. Nine percent of all people confess active participation in, in Christianity. Five percent or so of those are Protestant, evangelicals we might say. So as I think about our passage today, it speaks plainly to my context. But as I think about uh, New St. Peter's and the challenges that you face here in this city, I think it applies as well. So Paul writes a letter to the Philippians. Beginning in verse 2 and I will read. uh, Beginning in chapter 2 verse 1. even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. so if there's any encouragement and let's not work too far past the first word there because it's important because we need to do a little bit of a a setting of a context because Paul has already spoken into his conversation that he's beginning in chapter 2 and it begins most precisely back in chapter 1, verse 27. And we'll see there that Paul is concerned about this Philippian church, newly converted to a new religion, newly converted to Christianity, surrounded by a culture that opposes it. And he's concerned about their conduct being in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. And here's what he says. Whether I come and see you or not, basically, or whether uh, I hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Paul is concerned when he writes here in Philippians 2 about a manner of conduct that's worthy of the gospel. Now Paul writes letters for reasons. Certainly he exchanges pleasantries as you would expect him to do, but that's not his sole purpose for writing. Paul is not bored and just uh, sits down one day and decides he wants to correspond with the Philippians. If that were the case, we probably wouldn't have a New Testament. But Paul writes in to problems that are in the church. And the problem that the Philippian church, this young church that's surrounded by a counter-culture is having, is opposition. And there's pressure from outside, for sure, as we'll see in just a minute. But there's also pressure probably from inside. Because Paul is going to speak directly to inside the church and prepare them for what's coming from the outside. Conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. These are Paul's concerns. Stand firm in the one spirit. Striving together as one. Well, what is at stake according to that passage that I read, the context... Well, what's at stake in Paul's mind is the faith of the gospel. And actually, if you know a little bit about Paul, you know that this is what's on Paul's mind all the time. This is what's at stake in Paul's mind. The faith of the gospel. Paul is a protector of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is a convert to Christianity. And he knows what's at stake. ...in the lives of the Philippians. And Paul knows what's at stake... ...in the lives of the church at Whitford's in Perth, Australia. He knows what's at stake at New St. Peter's Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. What's at stake? I'd say it's the same thing. It's the faith of the gospel... So I didn't have uh, points available to put in the bulletin, but I'll I'll put the points out there. Paul is going to uh, remind us, as he reminds the Philippians, to mind your benediction. He's going to ask us and them as well to mind your unity with humility. He's going to ask us and remind us to mind your mind. And finally, mind... Your confession. Now when I say mind there, I mean uh, in in the sense of um, be vigilant over or tend to it. Watch it. Keep it foremost in your vision. These are the things that you need to be thinking about most, if not all of the time. They need to be forefront in your mind. You need to mind them like you would mind a store or you would mind children. I'm not so great at that, but it's my job sometimes to mind my children, to watch over them. So that's the, that's the way that I'm using it. And, and Paul is going to ask them and to remind them to mind your benediction. And so he begins, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and it's almost as if he should pause here remember these people are being opposed and they're afraid and so Paul would pause here is there any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love and in his mind's eye he would start to see people nod their head yes yes there is encouragement in Christ there is comfort in love any participation or is there any fellowship in the Spirit? Yes. Any affection or compassion and sympathy or mercy? And Paul is saying, of course, there are all of these things. Paul is calling on the Philippians as he calls on us to think back a minute when we're afraid, when we're opposed. Be mindful. Mind your experience in Christ and be mindful that you've been encouraged in Christ. Be mindful that there is comfort from love. There is participation. There is fellowship in the Holy Spirit. And yes, you've been shown deep affection. You've been shown deep compassion and sympathy and have been given mercy, encouragement, comfort, love, participation in the Spirit, compassion, and mercy. Paul wants them to go back just for a minute in your fear and remember the blessings that you have in Christ. Remember your benediction. Remember your identity. When Jamie and I first started dating or after we had been dating a while, we had a couple who was very close to us. And we looked up to, uh, to, uh, as mentors, as models for parenting and for marriage. And as I was talking to the wife one day about, I'm sure, the deep, deep problems that come with, you know, Uh, whatever was going on in my life at that time. Maybe I was full of fear. Maybe I was full of anxiety. Maybe it was even despair and hopelessness, but I was able to share this with her. And as she sat by and listened, and as I paused, I'm sure many minutes later, she said, but we're redeemed. And it was a blessing. It was a benediction. She reminded me of the blessings that I have in Christ. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I'm sure that it has. But when you take hold of that, the things of our immediacy, our fears and anxieties tend to melt away. That's what Paul is reminding the Philippians of. That there is encouragement, there's comfort And that they are participating even now in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. What a privilege. What a blessing. In just a few minutes, hopefully, for your sake, Colin or John will get up and pronounce a benediction. And they will bless you and hope for you that you go out into this week with the blessing that you have already have in Christ. They're going to hope for you that blessing that is already yours. And they're going to pronounce that over you. And we're going to walk away from here with the Lord's benediction. And we're going to be reminded of who we are in Christ Jesus. Because we're going to need to be reminded of that when we go out there. Because there's a world out there that opposes us. There can also be a world inside that opposes us. And that's where Paul is going to take us next. But it's reminiscent of Paul's benediction in 2 Corinthians 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul is tying the Philippian church up into God himself and into the full fellowship that is theirs in Christ so that they can stand against opposition mind your benediction in Christ you are blessed beyond measure stand firm against opposition not only mind your benediction but mind your unity with humility So if there is all of these things, if there is encouragement and comfort from love, if you know God's love and you've participated in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, you've been shown compassion and mercy. Paul says, then complete my joy by getting me out of prison. (laughs) Right? That's what I would say. Remember Paul, and I may not have mentioned this earlier, but Paul is writing this letter from prison. And for Paul in prison, the completion of his joy happens to be that the Philippians be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. That would complete Paul's joy. Now, I don't know about you, I probably do, that if you're in prison, the completion of your joy is going to be the moment that you get out of prison. Right? And yet Paul as an example of the very humility that he's calling them to and the very unity with them is saying, my joy will be complete when you are of one mind. And I will stay in prison. Paul, throughout his letters, is big on unity. You may know that. There's a book written recently or over the past few years uh, outlining the nine marks of the church. And I think it's even a whole organization. And it gives very uh, precise uh, definition of what a church should look like. A healthy church should have all of these things. And while Paul may agree with all of those things, and probably we would agree with all of those things, I think Paul might have a top ten list. He might have ten marks of the church. And I think that all of them would be unity. Paul is big on unity, unity of mind, one purpose, a corporate, single-mindedness. It's not uniformity, though. We have uniformity. We all, for the most part, look like one another, kind of like similar things, live in a similar area. We're Presbyterian and Reformed and all of these things that identify us and we have uniformity, but you probably know as well as I do, you can have uniformity in a church and not have any unity at all. You can be split through the middle and down both sides. So it's not necessarily uniformity. It's corporate single-mindedness towards a single purpose and a single goal. It's what the Philippian church is being called to. It's what we're being called to. It's what you're being called to. Every week, week after week after week, you're being called to unity in Christ Jesus. 100% buy in, right? It's a consultant's dream. This is what Paul wants. 100% single-mindedness. But toward what end? Well, I've given it away already. The defense, perpetuation, preaching, singing, confessing, praying, sharing, teaching, counseling, the gospel of Jesus Christ. One writer said it this way, and maybe... I was too shy to say it this way, so I'm going to quote the writer. But he's right. It is cliche today to say that the purpose of the church is worship, without understanding that if the gospel of Christ is not the center of everything, that is the unifying purpose, it is not New Testament worship. So if we attempt to take Paul seriously, the gospel must be at the center of our thinking at every level of ministry, I know it's been repeated in this pulpit before a long time ago by one of my professors who preached here. But he always used to remind us that the center and gravitational pull of the church must be the gospel of Christ. There are a lot of other good things that we do as churches, including discipleship and worship and teaching, and all of these other things. But if any one of those becomes the center of the church, of our church, none of those things have the gravitational force to hold together the orbit of unity that must happen. So that all of the ministry of the church flows out of a common cause. It's very simple. Paul is concerned for the defense Of the gospel of Christ. So. That. We. Do what? There's always. A question mark. When it comes to things like this. What do we do? Well he says in verse 3. Do almost nothing. From selfish ambition or conceit. That's again. That's the way I want it to read. No. Paul says do nothing. Nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now he is trampling on sacred ground because he's asking me to die to myself as an individual in order to serve other people who I may or may not have anything in common with or, or like or they may not like me but to Paul it, it, matter, it doesn't matter it's inconsequential do nothing nothing you do as a church should be done for selfish ambition or conceit and in conceit. but let each of you look not only to his own interest but also ...to the interests of others. Now Paul is not saying there... ...grovel in your weakness... ...and pity yourself... ...and be full of self-denial. He's inviting you to look after your own interest, ...but look after the interests of others... ...in the same way. That's true humility. In Paul's time and place... ...in his context... ...in this world of Greek thought... ...and Roman power... There was only a negative category for this type of humility. There was no positive category for the humility that Paul is talking about. And so it doesn't play well in a culture... ...who is full of selfish ambition and conceit. Where the marks of a successful culture are power and strength... And, and chest pounding, and look at me. It's epitomized in our culture in a variety of different ways. But if you've been following NBA free agency for the last year and a half of what it seems like, waiting for a particular person to decide what it is that he's going to do, watch the ticker, mark the time. Is he going to come back? Is there going to be a second coming? Is he going to save a certain region of northern Ohio? And I I was there. I wanted to know. But you see, that's, that's what we look at as a culture. And we see as a true measure of strength. And sometimes it's even veiled in humility. True humility is found here. Paul is speaking into a culture and see if any of this sounds familiar. Uh, a, a, a fraught or uh, big on political power plays, where there's angling for political position, there's upward, a striving for upward mobility, socially and intellectually. And it created a whole slave class so that all that went on would be safe because there was always someone to look down on. There was always someone that was in this hideous, servile state. God help them. And so Paul is saying into this context, the church is against ...or counter to that culture. We've talked about being counter-culture... ...and what we mean most of the time... ...is that we really dress up like the culture. And what we end up doing is being counter to, to church culture. But Paul is saying this is counter to the culture. It's revolutionary. And therefore it makes the church extremely vulnerable to opposition because the rest of the world won't know what to do. But biblical humility requires that we see ourselves as those in Christ for who we are. That we acknowledge our inability and weakness. As Colin mentioned earlier, this is the safe place where we bring all of our nastiness this is where we do those things. So that we're a church in Perth, Australia, and we're a church in Dallas, Texas, that can show, then show mercy to outsiders. We, we aren't surprised when people come in who are those type of people. They don't uniformly fit with our expectations And we're able to do that because we start to see ourselves as those types of people. Mind your humility, your unity in humility. Sinners in need of grace. Jesus said it this way. Whoever, among, whoever would be great among you must be what? Must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, number one. Among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Mind your humility toward unity. Thirdly, mind your mind. Paul instructs them to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now that's an awkward phrase. Have this mind in yourselves, which is your mind in Christ Jesus. Have the mind that you have. It goes back to what he started off with. Look at the blessing. Look at the benediction. Look at what's been pronounced over you. Look who you are in Christ. That is your mind, that's good news. Because if you ask me to put aside my selfish ambition and my pride and my conceit and serve others, you're asking me to do something that's impossible for me to do. And you're welcome to ask my family about that on your way out. They will agree. The good news is that we have the mind of Christ And Paul is asking us to do something because we have something that we already have. And that is the mind of Christ. Mind your mind. Know this about yourself. Have the mind of Christ which is yours. The mind of Christ was to be humble. This was Christ who though He was in the form of God who was the exact imprint and nature of God, did not count equality with God as something to be held on to, but he emptied himself. How did he empty himself? He emptied himself by filling himself with our form in all of its weakness and frailness, conceit and sin. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself... And became obedient to the point of death. Even the worst kind of death known to man at that time and probably even now. And that's death on a cross. Have the mind which is yours. And here is Jesus' mind on display in the incarnation. The mind of Christ was a mind of humility. Not only in His incarnation, but in eternity past. He did not count equality with God as something to be grasped or to held on to. In His life here on earth, He set aside Himself and made Himself nothing. And in His death, He was obedient, humbly obedient to death. The mind of Christ was not to count His equality with God a thing to be used for Himself, to be lorded over you and me. But He came to serve. He didn't come to gain an advantage when He had every advantage known in eternity. Every advantage. He had every right to demand homage and worship and to invite people to serve Him at every step, and yet that's not what he did. Instead, in a a very familiar story, hopefully to you, to some of you, Jesus tied a towel around his waist and he filled a basin with water and he stooped down and he crawled around on the dingy floor at the feet of his disciples and he began to wash their smelly, dirty feet as an example of his love for them. And He did it for people who did not deserve it. You see, these disciples, though they were called and set apart, they, didn't, they did not deserve to see such a glorious act. They didn't deserve that and neither do we. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, washing their feet. And yet in Christ we have the mind... We have a mind that does such things. We're able to do these things. We're able to serve one another. We're called to serve one another. And in light of this, what are we left to do but worship? What are we left to do but serve one another? It is our calling, our singular calling as Christians, to consider others more important than ourselves. If this were to happen in Whitford's Presbyterian Church in Perth, Australia, or if this were to happen here at New St. Peter's Presbyterian Church, those churches would become an immovable object and an unstoppable force in our culture. We pray for that day and we hope for that day. But again, the question is, what do we do? What if each individual here today decided in their individual mind that this is how I'm going to be? This is who I am. I'm going to purpose to be this way. And we are going to collectively purpose as a church to be this type of church. I think that's what Paul is fighting for with his words and his letter from prison to the Philippians. And it's what He would desire for us. Our calling as Christians is singular. And that is, we are called to serve one another. This is the mind of Christ. And this is our mind. Finally, mind your confession. Therefore, because of Christ's humility... God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, his own name, the name of God, so that even now he rules and reigns over his people with compassion and gentleness and kindness, calling them to serve him by serving one another. Mind your confession. Mind it now or mind it later. Mind it now. And what is that confession? Jesus Christ is Lord. That is our confession. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is um, too much to ask, it's too much to bear. Please cause us to be the type of people that reflect on our need for you so that we can see plainly the need of others. Build us into a church locally, globally, that is known for its humility and for its unity and its single-minded purpose the protection and the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Please do this for us, we pray, for the sake of Christ, who is Lord. Amen.